Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. How are you navigating the temptation to grow numb because of the absurdity around us? How are you navigating the temptation to grow numb because of the absurdity around us? I'm curious. It's a temptation, right? Amen. As, thank you. Yes. Amen. When you live at the circus and everything is bizarre, after a couple weeks, nothing is bizarre. We can just grow numb. We're turning it down. This is hard. I don't know what to do with all these funny feelings. We're just going to bury it and keep moving forward. We call that experience going numb. How are you navigating the temptation to grow numb in our cultural moment? My news feed is just caught my attention this week because of the bizarre nature of the headlines. It was an emotional roller coaster. I mean, we're we're balancing back and forth between like very apocalyptic headlines to Pete Davidson isn't allowed to go to outer space. What? Like the SNL actor? Yes. World War III, violence in the streets. Pete Davidson is dating Kanye West's wife and giving Kanye West mental health advice. This is not anything I've made up. We are in a bizarre moment. You know, I was just struck because I was just kind of scrolling through the news, and one of the stories that caught my attention was so blasé, given the moment we're in. But I was like, man, if I knew that guy, that would like be a way I would introduce myself. So it happened, I think it was in Louisiana, so it wasn't a Florida man. It's the story in the middle right there. Uh, yeah, a man posing as students convicted in a $1.4 million loan scheme. This guy, Elliot Sterling of Louisiana, uh, allegedly falsified nearly 200 financial aid applications and spent at least $250,000 of the money at casinos. Now, if I knew someone that did that, that would really change my life. I'm like, whoa, you would not, but it just gets buried in the bizarre moment we're in. Like, I, uh, does anyone have like the Google app on their phone? Do you know when you click on the Google app, it shows you all the trending things that like people around you are searching in Google? And so like, that's very anxiety inducing for me, right? It's like, why are people Googling China, US, Russia, Ukraine? Like, why is China in that Google search? Why are people Googling like this, um, you know, all these people died? And then the, the most like calming news story in that was there was a car crash in Texas that killed like 13 people. That's really messed up, right? We're just growing so desensitized by the wild moment that we're in. And the temptation is to grow numb. There are many ways to do this. We can numb ourselves on a whole variety of ways. There's a secular way to do it. Nihilism, fatalism. The sun's going to explode. Why does any of this matter? Who cares? Right? And there's also, I'm concerned, a very spiritual-sounding way to do this. A spiritual-sounding way that sounds something like the New Testament. It actually quotes the New Testament. Right? And it goes on this, like, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Life is hard. We just pray for the end. 
Now, before your theological antennas go up, I very much look forward to, I echo what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians, come Lord Jesus. I think about Peter in his, in his letter saying, though we have not seen him, we love him, for we know that we will one day see him and we will be like him. And I'm like, yes, yes, that like just awakens this deep desire in my heart. And I wonder if there's a way where we can hide our fatalism, our nothing matters, with, well, Jesus is coming back and it's all going to burn. See, we're familiar with a secular way to do this. We're familiar with how our secular neighbors can say things like, hey, we're in a bizarre moment, it's super weird, but it's all going to burn, who cares? This is Bo Burnham, uh, wisecrack philosophy called Bo Burnham, an answer to postmodern cynicism wrapped up in a delicious, like a very warm embrace from your favorite aunt, all right? So Bo Burnham is very intelligent, he's very smart, and he's also like has this very disarming way of just wrapping you in a big warm hug, okay? So he has a poem, a song he wrote, where he is pointing out the absurdity and the, the just the crazy moment we live in. And I, I like this song, it's hilarious, but it's a lot. So we're gonna try to like go through it slowly, because here's what he's pointing out. Like we live in this really hard moment, and then on top of the hardness, giant corporations step in and say, hey, we care about this stuff too. And we go, yeah, like corporations are made up of people and those people care. And corporations are giant corporations that exist to make money. This is confusing. And so he's pointing out the absurdity of our moment. Here's, here's some things that he says. Stunning 8K resolution in your meditation app. I went to a public high school. We took a meditation class. I, I, I don't remember much of it, but I remember we just closed our eyes, right? Why do we need an 8K resolution app? Uh, in honor of the revolution, it's half off at the gap. <laughs> Deadpool self-awareness, loving parents, harmless fun. The backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun. What should you be mad at? Everything. Just play it safe. Be mad at everything. And what does this stir up for Bo? There it is again. That funny feeling. That funny feeling. There it is again. That funny feeling. That funny feeling. Female Colonel Sanders. Easy answers. Civil war. The whole world at your fingertips. The ocean at your door. How does Bo deal with that funny feeling? 20,000 years of this. Seven more to go. Don't worry, it'll be over soon. A book on getting better, hand-delivered by a drone. Total disassociation, fully out of your mind. Googling, Googling derealization and hating what you find. Derealization is what happens when life around you is so hard, you just tell yourself, it's all fake. It's make-believe. This isn't real. I'm not suffering through this. And Bo describes Googling that and then getting terrified, right? But what's his answer? Hey, what can you say? We were overdue, but it will be over soon. You wait. Hey, what can you say? We were overdue, but it'll be over soon. Just wait. It doesn't matter. Life is hard, but it's all going to burn. Just wait. Now, those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus go, yeah, 
I feel like there are other options. I would never do something like that. I would never think that. Recently, I was getting coffee with a Christian in town who uh, leads a business. He's a small business. And he's right now getting his teeth knocked in. Uh, There are people who worked for him who are sharing their experience online and are just saying things about this person. Man, he was a terrible boss. He led in such a way that was really harsh and abusive, and they're sharing their experiences. And so I I sat with him. I think it was like a divine God. I wasn't trying to sit with him. We just happened to bump into each other, and I just had, he just shared his story. And I listened to him for a long time, and I just felt like God was calling me not to fix anything, not to take sides. I have no idea who the other people were. I just was listening, and I heard a lot of just different things pop out, a lot of anger. I didn't do anything. I didn't do this. That's on them. They're lying. This, this, this. And man, it's just outrage culture. We're living in a moment where everyone's mad at everything, and I'm just the latest victim of outrage culture. And yeah, that's really hard. I hear you. That, that's, I hear you. And then he said, you know, you know what? I've never understood this verse before, but now I understand it. Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah, that's totally a verse, and that's totally true. And it's not how Paul encourages the church in Crete. The church in Crete was going through a snowstorm. This new baby church was really going through a time. It was wild. It was crazy. It was hard to see straight. Religious leaders from Jerusalem have come in and really shaken things up, really just messed with the peace. And you know what you don't hear Paul saying? Hey, it'll be over soon. He doesn't say that. He actually said, he, he, there's not many commands in the book of Titus, but he gives one of those just like mic drop moment commands. He says this to Titus, remind them. So it's really hard, and he says, remind them. We forget When the world is bizarre, when everything is absurd, we forget. And he's saying, remind them. Remind them what? Remind them who they are. Remind these people who they are and what God has done for them. What Paul is saying is this. When we keep the main thing, the main thing, absurdity, and it's absurd, becomes an opportunity for beauty. When we keep the main thing, the main thing, we don't have to respond out of that powder keg that's buried deep within us of all the disappointments and all the angers, and when people bump into that, we just, boom, explode on them. We can respond out of something even truer than that, our identity. Identity is a fuzzy thing, right? It's crazy. What makes you, you? How do you know you are who you are? Paul's saying this, remind them who they are. Remind them what's true about them. It's the command. Hey, bring this to mind. Help them recollect who they are and what God has done for them. And as a result, we don't have to run. We don't have to hide. We don't have to fight back. We can turn this opportunity 
This, this absurd moment into an opportunity for beauty, real beauty, renewal can take place when we remember who we are. We have to be aware there is a temptation. There's a temptation to spiritualize physical problems. All right? That's what's at stake here. Don't spiritualize a physical problem. Does life hurt? Well, God is good, right? Oh man, is it really disappointing your relationship with your kids? Well, a million years from now, you probably won't even remember this. You'll just be in heaven and everything will be fine. That's spiritualizing physical problems. And Paul doesn't do that. Who does that? Bo! Not Paul. Paul's answer is remember who we are when it's really hard. Identity is a tricky thing. When we make something our identity, we're bound to ruin that. If my identity is in being a good preacher, I have ruined the activity of preaching, right? If I'm like, man, I got to be a good preacher. It's got to make sense. It's got to land. They've got to see how great the Bible is. Did they, did they get it? Did it land? Did it land? Did it land? Oh my gosh, how do people receive it? Was it okay? What are people saying? Oh my gosh, how? I ruin it. Just like if we make our kids getting along with us, our identity, we ruin it. And, it, and, and the church in Crete, if we make peace with those around us, our identity, the results, we ruin peace. Paul's saying, regardless of what's happening around you, Keep the main thing, the main thing. Who we are, what God has done for us. And then beauty flows out of that. So if you have a Bible, we're in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Titus 3, 1 through 7. And if you would, please stand with me out of reverence for God's word. Titus 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating everyone. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Father, your word says that we are heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Father, sometimes we feel numb, having the despair and the disappointments of broken relationships, of low-joy families, of work environments where it just feels dog eat dog. And if we don't hustle and take care of ourselves and push people out of the way, who's going to take care of us? Father, remind us what's true. Remind us who we are. And remind us what it is 
that we can be because of who we are. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. In Titus 3, Paul is essentially saying this. He's essentially saying, hey, if you keep the main thing, the main thing, disinterested people will become interested. So if you keep the main thing, our identity, who we are, the main thing, all the conflict, all the hard things that you're experiencing now become opportunities for the spirit that works in renewal to change the situation. But it happens when we remember who we are. A mentor of mine uh, works at a church, and this church has a gardener we'll call Ed. All right? Now, Ed is a fantastic gardener. This church is famous because it has these immaculate rows of flowers that are just beautiful. The bushes are incredible. There's just a neat row of trees. It's wonderful. I mean, oh my goodness. Has anyone ever been to the St. Louis Botanical Gardens? Poof! Nothing on this church, okay? Probably not true. St. Louis Botanical Gardens are lovely and you should go. Um, But it's an amazing church. But you know what it's also famous for? If you get too close to the flowers, you will hear a voice. Hey! Hey, back away! Say, hey, get off the grass! You know how hard it is to get that grass to feel like carpet? Get off the grass! Kids, that's a bush, not a playground! Get away! Get away! Right? Whoa! And so you just got to be really careful when you walk around this church because Ed takes that garden very seriously, okay? So everybody is just on edge. Don't park too close to here in this time of day because the shadow from your car will block light. I mean, it's just, it's a lot, all right? And so one day, my mentor is teaching a Sunday school class, and who should come into this Sunday school class? Ed. Great, right? And so through the course of teaching and talking, Ed starts kind of sharing a little bit, and for whatever reason, I have no idea why he said this, Ed goes, Well, you know, I'm just a crotchety, grumpy, angry old man. To which my mentor said, wait, I'm sorry. I thought you said you were a Christian. What does that mean, right? And Ed goes, what do you mean? Well, I don't think it's true for you to say that you're a crotchety, angry, grumpy old man. I think it's more accurate for you to say... When you forget who you are, you become crotchety, angry, and grumpy. That's not who you are. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the church on Crete. And we got to pay attention because remember, Paul is not a 21st century American writer, okay? He writes in circles. So we got to untangle it a little bit, but this is the heart of what he's saying. Look at verse 1. Remind them. That's a command, okay? Remind them. Bring it to their mind. Put it in front of their attention, right? This is something they've already heard, but remind them. What? And then there's all these commands, right? Uh, You know, to submit to authorities, to be obedient, to slander no one. So remind them to do these things. Why? All right? Verse 3. Did anyone in here who has an ESV, NASB, King James... Anybody who has one of those versions, shout out the first word in verse 3. Thank you. Four, right? The NIV, for whatever reason, just deletes a word in the Bible. But it's a a great translation. I'm not trying to not. The NIV is wonderful. All right? But for whatever reason, they cut out the word four. All right? So here's what he's saying. Remind them essentially to be peaceable. 
Why? Because we once were not peaceable. And he lists seven things that we once were. And they're pretty, like, honest things, right? Right? So, hey, remind them to be peaceable. Because at one time we were foolish. That word is, it's like not thinking. It's used in uh, writings around the time of Jesus to describe the Persians. Like, th- this is not something that an Israelite would brag about. This was the nations. They're just thoughtless folks. Okay? And Paul's saying that about himself. But there's this grocery list of things we were. So remind them to be peaceable because we were this. But, verse 4, when the kindness and love, kindness and love, not just the kindness, not just the love, but the kindness and love of God appeared. He saved us. Why? Because we were so savable. Because we were so awesome. Because we had it together. Because God's like, hey, they've got potential. Let's rescue them. No. Not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy, his sticky love, that love that chases us, that love in the Garden of Eden where humanity had messed up. And what does God do? He chases after. Where are you? Because in accordance to, just it's his nature. That's who he is. That's what he does. He has a sticky love and he chases after us. All right, now, here's the logic. Remind them to be peaceable because we're not this stuff. We're not this. We are this We're not thoughtless people who hate each other, who slander, who are enslaved, all kinds of patterns. We're not. That's not who we are. Just like our friend Ed, that's who we can. We can act like that when we forget who we are. We're not that. Just like, hey, these religious leaders are coming after the church in Crete. Let's, they're coming after us. Let's go back after them. Let's misquote Flannery O'Connor. As hard as the world pushes, push back. All right? That's not what she meant. So you're like, What? I just had to always, Flannery's just lovely, and we got to, that's not what she meant, all right? She's not saying fight back. That, and that's what Paul said, don't fight back. Why? Because not who we are. We're people who've experienced that sticky love, that mercy, all right? If I were to say to you, I'm not going to give you $2, I am going to give you $20. By pointing out the not first, it highlights the 20 It's not $2, it's $20, you can have this juicer, not for four easy payments of $19.99. You can have this juicer for three easy payments of $19.99. You're like, wow, not four, but three, right? That's what Paul's doing. He's selling you a juicer at the mall. He's saying, it's, you're not this stuff, this terrible stuff. You are this stuff. It's to highlight the amazing thing, to remind us our identity, who we are. Are Because again, why? Identity is a slippery thing. Are you who you are because of what you do and what you love? Or are you who you are because of what God has done for you? And the answer, according to Paul, is look at what God has done for us. He rescued us according to his sticky love, his mercy. That word for mercy, when it's used in the Old Testament, refers to when Israel is just running from God and he's chasing after them. Why is he chasing after them? He's got a sticky love. He's saying, I'll be your God, you be my people. They're saying, no, thank you. And he's saying, I'm going to keep chasing after you. Well, that doesn't sound like that's exactly how God works. Don't we have to? No, look at what he says. He saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. It's called a gift. It's grace. We're people who've been rescued by grace. That's fundamental to who we are. It keeps going. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. 
and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That word renewal is you can't find it outside of Christian literature from this time. The ancient world did not have a concept for renewal. The, the Christian story is not about saying, hey, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. Get out quick. The Christian story is about renewal. This world broke, and God is committed. He's giving everything to chase after and renew his creation. And that includes us. We are people who have experienced renewal. Now, that absolutely impacts the absurdity and the bizarreness of the moment we live in. All right? He's saying this, remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what's good. We can basically condense that down that he's saying, remind folks to be peaceable. Because we've experienced grace, we're going to be peace-loving people. What's the context that he's telling us to be peaceful? Look with me at chapter 2, verse 15. This is another one of those very few commands in Titus. This is another one of them. Think about how weird of a command this is. So he's just talked about, you know, grace teaches us to obey. Grace is our instructor. And he says this to Titus. Teach that. All right? These are the things you should teach, that grace teaches us to obey. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, what an odd command. Don't let anyone despise you. How do you do that? People's reactions toward us are out of our control. What's Paul saying when he says, don't let anyone despise you? There's a couple of options, I would say. Let's say option one would be an aggressive option. That would be, do you know where I went to college? You have to listen to me, all right? You know, you think you're so smart, teenager, but I was young once too. And in my day, we had real music, all right? That's the aggressive option to get no one to despise you. It might work. There's questions, okay? There's another option to get no one to despise you. Shame. This is often the road that we can take when we're insecure about who we are. All right? Someone comes and says, well, you're a liar. Well, you're never there. You don't care. Well, you think I don't care? You don't care. Right? Well, you never listen to me. You think I don't listen to you? You're the worst listener I know. Right? What's that? We'll call that the shame option. How do we have no one despise us? We can be aggressive. You have to respect us. We're important. How do we get no one to despise us? We can shame people. If you, if you don't respect me, I'll show you how unworthy of respect you are. But what's Paul's option here? Being peaceable. Submit to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. What's he talking about? All right. It's hard for us to really understand how, like, whoa, this would have been for the original audience. He's saying, submit to rulers and authority. And they would have been like, whoa, has Paul lost his marbles? In this day and age, in the day and age when Titus was written, there were many messianic movements. Many people saying, I'm Messiah, I'm God's anointed one showing up. And they all had one thing in common. Their message was, overthrow the government, right? I'm Messiah, let's turn the tables and rescue Israel, woohoo! right? Now Paul said, real Messiah has come. We're his people. He's done this for us. Submit to the government. It's also hairy because we can't imagine a world in which Thomas Jefferson didn't talk about the separation of church and state. It's a very foreign concept to the rest of the world, but we as Americans take it for granted. What does that mean? The government that Paul is telling these Cretans to submit to was doing governmental service out of an obligation to Zeus, 
They were worshiping Zeus as they were involved in their civic duties. And Paul's saying, you can submit. What? But they're not good leaders. And Paul's saying, hey, we can put together through the rest of Scripture, don't disobey God. It's better to obey God than obey men. Get thrown in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And a lot of times when we disobey the government, how often is it just the laws of our kingdom are being broken, not the laws of God's kingdom? Because look at what he goes on to say. Don't slander anyone. Don't speak in a way that belittles or, or, or demeans someone else. So as Christians, when we wear our Let's Go Brandon t-shirts, when we wear our Forget Trump t-shirts, are we really upset that the laws of God's kingdom are being broken? Or are we upset that the laws of our kingdom are being broken? What would it look like, not if we can point out every little letter of the law and like, oh, they're doing this wrong, they're doing that wrong. We can say, hey, you know what? My hope isn't in government. You know what? There's going to be somebody else in the White House and they're going to do some good things, they're going to do some bad things. And I'm going, to, I'm going to follow God as I be a good citizen. We rightly condemn Christian nationalism. The idea, let's just wrap a, a, a flag around our Bibles and God and country and whatever order, it doesn't matter. You know, America's God's chosen nation. We rightly condemn that. It's wrong. It's a distraction. It's evil. And we don't want to overcorrect too far to say, and we shouldn't be involved in patriotism and we shouldn't be involved in government at all. What would it look like if Christians brought renewal to these dark places? What if people convicted, man, I, I am, I am different, I am new, and I want my neighbors to experience renewal. I want to seek the shalom of the city God's called me to. What would that look like? It would look like a little bit of heaven in Colombia. In Colombia as it is in heaven. If we keep the main thing, the main thing, beauty can be created. There's an opportunity for us to just create and partner with this recreating God to bring newness to things. Look, what he's talking about, our identity, is in, it's, it's just overwhelming. There's almost too much to say. Look again at verse uh, 5. He saved us, not by righteousness that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Hear that water language, washing Renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That idea of being the Spirit being poured out is an echo back to Joel 2. When Israel is in exile, they've been kicked out of the land. And Joel the prophet gives them hope by saying, hey, one day, forget this land stuff for a second. You're going to get something even better than the land. The land was where God lived, right? God's not just going to live in a land. God's going to live in you. He's going to pour out his spirit in you. And he's not going to just like, whoop, all right, that's enough. It's going to gush out. That, Joel, John, the apostle, picks up on this. And when he says, like, when the spirit comes, rivers of life will be flowing out of us. It's an echo back to Joel. It's also an echo back to Genesis. In Genesis 1 through 3, when it describes Eden, there's all these rivers flowing out of it, right? Why, why all this language, all these four, these four rivers that flowed out of it? It's because where, it's where God lives. And now the Spirit has been poured out. We have a, ri a living river inside of us. We are the new Eden. 
The people you see around you are not crotchety old people. They are the new Eden. And when we forget who we are, we run the risk of not only being numb, but working against who we are. Remember, this command to remember who you are, it comes out when he says this, slander no one, but be peaceable. That word for peaceable, it's like an atheist. It's a, that's called an alpha privative. Man, my, my seventh grade English teacher, Mrs. Keller, wherever you are, you'd be so proud of me. An alpha privative is when we put an A in front of something, it negates it. So an atheist is I, there's no God. Okay? This word to be peaceable, it's the word for conflict. We are to be awe-conflict. That does not mean that when you see someone coming at you, you're like, oh, I'm awe-conflict, so I've got to just sit in my car here while they, you know, sort this out themselves. No, 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 no. What that looks like is when people come at us and say, you always, you never, and we say, okay, let's breathe. Who am I? I'm a new Eden. I'm a temple of the living God. Okay, this, this is real. This is very real. They're bumping into my, that, cowder, that powder keg I have inside of me of all the disappointments and hurts, and boom, they're bumping into that, and I'm not going to explode on them. I'm going to say, I hear you. There's a lot going on here. And I wonder, can we be curious about that together? Can we have time to just talk about, sounds like there's more going on than what is at the surface. Can we talk about that? That's what it means to be awe conflict, not running and locking your doors and roll up the windows as fast as you can. To be peaceable, people of peace. Why? Because God has made peace with us. It flows out of who we are. We, we cannot not do this. You're like, I've been in church a long time. I've seen lots of people not, not do this. And they're miserable. You know why they're miserable? Because they're living against their nature. They're telling themselves things that aren't true. I am just a crotchety old gardener. No. You become a crotchety old gardener when you forget who you really are. And that's what Paul's command to Titus is. Remind them. Put it before their mind. That word remind has so much weight when we think about the Psalms, when we think about Proverbs. It's meditate on. Think about, think about, think about. Just put it in front of your brain. And there's a reason I believe... Since we're talking about alpha primitives, what Paul says uh, in verse 3, he says, you were at one time foolish. That's the same word there, right? Remind them of who they are because at one time we were ah-thinking. We were foolish is how the NIV translates. We were not thinking. But we now have, what does Paul say in other letters? We've got the mind of Christ. It's Colossians. We've been crucified and raised with Christ. Galatians. We've been seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians. Titus. We have the spirit of the living God inside of us. We're the temple. We are not the conflict in front of us. My job here is to remind you who you are, period. And if you've never experienced this, my job is to invite you into who you could be. That's it. These are the marching orders from Titus. Remind them who they are. 
Compass Church, dangerous things happen when we forget who we are. If who we are is, is based on and built on our ability to get along, if we make our identity, we're a peaceable church, right? We've got good Midwestern values. We're salty earth people. We like everybody. We have ruined good Midwestern people's salt of the earth values. If we make that our identity, peace, peace becomes a heavy burden. I got everyone to like me. I got to do whatever it takes to be liked. That's a terrible way to live. The invitation is not to just, oh, I got I to gotta keep this weight up of everybody always has to like me. The invitation is to say, who am I? I'm a dearly loved child. I am. I have been rescued, not because of my own righteousness, but Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. And because of that, I want you all to experience that. I want the person in front of me. Ah, man, I, I, want, I want to be in a connection group where people are just constantly reminding each other who we are. Because here, this is why we're stronger together. On days I forget, you might remember. And when you share your story of who you are and what God has been doing in your life, your courage in the midst of the chaos gives me courage. That's why we share our stories. That's why you need to be in a connection group. That's why we say connection groups are the primary way we experience care. Because there is a high likelihood that on the days you forget and on the days that you act out of when that powder keg explodes and you just leak on everybody... The beautiful thing that can happen in that moment is someone puts their arm around you and says, this isn't you. I know who you are. Yeah, that's, this is hard for you. Yeah, man, you know the things that trip me up. Now I know the things that trip you up. This is who you are. Remind each other. I don't think that command just goes to Titus. I think he's talking about as we elder, as we grow, as we mature, we remind each other of these things. I think that the Apostle Paul is really quoting Coach. It's March Madness. Trying to be culturally relevant here. I have not watched a single March Madness game. But this is the greatest NCAA men's basketball coach of all time. If you want to argue that, I don't know anything about NCAA men's basketball, but that's what Wikipedia says, okay? This is John Wooden, all right? He won 10 championships, seven of which he won in a row. He had one rule for his players. Well, he had many rules for his players. But an important rule that all his players talk about. Coach would say during games, don't look at the scoreboard. Play your game. Don't look at the scoreboard. Don't be panicked by the absurdity. Play your game. What is Paul saying to the church on Crete? Don't look at the scoreboard. But there's false teachers here. They're upsetting whole households. Things are going crazy. Who are you? How do you respond? We can be peaceable because God made peace. And your life is a testimony that God makes peace with man. Because he lives inside of you. And look, that may take us to uncomfortable places. Bill Walton, the NBA legend, Bill Walton... I, he won a championship with the Celtics. I think maybe the Trailblazers, but forget that. He won a championship with the Celtics. All right? Bill Walton, he had gotten player of the year, and his team had just won the national championship. All right? And coach had a rule. 
You had to keep your hair, it could be no longer than two inches, and you had to be clean shaven, all right? Like apparently UCLA was like the Yankees, all right? So Bill Walton had just come off of being player of the year, and they just won the national championship. So what does he do? He strolls into practice with an afro and a beard. Why? He had just spent the summer touring around with the Grateful Dead. And he's like, I just got player of the year. Coach is not going to apply that rule to me. And so he comes into practice, and coach just sees him and goes, mm-mm. He goes, what? Come on. Coach, I just won player of the year. You're surely not going to apply this rule to me. You have no right to tell me what to do with my hair. Coach very calmly replied to the, the person who was just player of the year, said this, you're right. I have no right to tell you what to do with your hair. Unfortunately, though, I do have a right to decide the roster, so we sure will miss you, Bill. What? Unless you get a haircut in 15 minutes, you have no place on this basketball team. Bill Walton ran out of that gym as fast as he could, jumped on his bicycle, jumped into a, a, a barber's seat, grabbed the clippers, cut his own hair, and ran back to the gym. Why? Coach had a different understanding of success. Success is not just about winning games. It's not just about being liked. It's not about finding our identity in those moments. John Wooden, according to ESPN, never made more than $32,000 a year. It wasn't about success. It was about, hey, in the middle of the game when things aren't going right, play our game. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not trying to build a mega church on Crete. I'm not trying to get everybody to like us. I'm trying to say, who are you? What has God done in your life? This is my son Boaz's foot. Uh, Miss Alice gave us these plants. I don't know what they are. I think they're like irises. Or maybe. They're irises. And I noticed that we planted them last year, and they were just growing up. And I was like, man, that is so cool. And then I'm, we, we were trying to, we had a tree cut down, so we were trying to cut, count the rings on it, which I have no idea how you do that. Like, people who are like, oh, this tree, ridiculous. It's impossible to count rings. Uh, but I look over, and Boaz is standing on the irises. And I'm like, Boaz, Boaz, he's three. I'm like, Boaz, you can't stand on the flowers. Why? Uh, because these flowers are, are designed and wired to grow, and when you stand on them, it puts an obstacle in the way of their growth. Okay, and he just runs away. That's church. We, who are we? We have God's Spirit living in us, and it's a river of life flowing out of us. And none of us got to live in a garden where three-year-olds don't run and jump and stomp on things. There are obstacles. There are things that stand in the way. But our identity is not found from the sole of a Nike shoe. Our identity is that we're irises, and irises grow. The most beautiful part of a flower is also the most fragile part of a flower. And God sure does love that flower. He died for that flower. And so we can trust that whoever's walking in our garden, we're in good hands, and we need to remember and remind ourselves who we are. God, God, I pray that we would be mindful of the ways we forget 
God, it's so easy to just say, well, I'm a crotchety old person, but that's not true. God, if we're not dead, you're not done. And you have made a declaration over us that we are new. We've been made alive. We've been saved. We've been rescued through the renewal of the Holy Spirit and eternal life starts now. So no matter what comes our way, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who remind each other who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.